maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we walk you through our five-step process for solving etiquette dilemmas, as well as tackle a question on tipping for salon mistakes. We also have some great feedback and a postscript segment on gift-giving. That's all coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we're from the Emily Post Institute. Uh, dude. I know, right? Something different happened this weekend. I know. Dan and I were at a Strange Folk show together. We saw each other outside of work. It happened. It, it really never did. happens. <laughs> we should explain a little bit. What is Strange Folk? What is Strange Folk? You're the longtime follower. I'm the I'm the casual follower. Sure. And and longtime followers generous. They were a band that I used to enjoy hearing play back in my college days, really, yeah. sort of late 90s. Yeah. And they do a reunion concert about once a year in northern Vermont. And for the first time in 15 years, I made my way up there with Pooja, and, <laughs> and who did I find in the crowd but... Me and my friend. It was great. It was so boat. much fun. <laughs> um, what was really cool, though, is that Dan said that the last time he had seen Strange Book was like 15 years ago. And the funny part about that show was that was the first show you, Will, and I had ever been to together. And we ran into each other at that show, too. And you got to understand, like, I'm the baby of the family. And I kind of my older cousins, all boys, except for my sister, I was so much younger that I didn't always get the, like, invite to come hang with the older kids, you know. And so I was in my college years, I think, when this happened. And it was so much fun to see you guys outside of our family settings dancing around like crazy. So happy. I mean, I'm seeing my two cousins in their element. And I, I, I don't want to interrupt, but we have no, to interrupt, introduce please. a character that doesn't get a lot of airtime on this show, my brother Will. Yeah. And you mentioned him. He's uh, another cousin yep. for Lizzie, my brother. And he doesn't have anything to do with the Emily Post Institute or the etiquette business. So he doesn't come up on the show a whole lot. And for me, it's a real treat to get to hang out with him socially. He has two daughters of his own, and he is a very busy man these days. But it was a, a, a treat both to see him and you and also to be reminded of that encounter boy, you know, over a decade ago. Exactly. And it was so much fun because Dan and I hang out and we talk, we have long conversations. He's like my brother. He's my confidant. Like we really talk to each other a lot. We've got a really close bond, but we don't hang out outside of the office. So to have that moment where we're chilling and hearing (laughs) great music and dancing around with our friends and you guys with both your wives there, I mean, it was really, it was a special scene for us on on Saturday night up in J Peak, Vermont. And when we see each other there and the music's playing and there's some excitement, we say, Oh, Lizzie, I didn't expect I thought you might be here. I didn't expect to see you. Oh, I said And what's about the third sentence that comes out of one of our mouths? Oh, I know what we're gonna talk about on the podcast this week. Oh yeah, no, totally. We can't help but work even when we're not working. <laughs> um, well, we're back at work now. I know, but we're getting to do the show. Shall we get to it? Let's get to some questions. Perhaps you can help me with a problem. I'd like your advice, Jim. My advice? Yes, I've got quite a serious problem. 
On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. For our first question this week, we are going to walk through the steps of how we solve an etiquette dilemma. Last week in episode 101, our postscript segment, we talked about consideration, respect, and honesty, and that these are the principles that we at the Emily Post Institute use to formulate new etiquette or to solve really difficult etiquette situations. And we really wanted to concretely walk through those steps and explain them to you so that as you listen to future questions, you can see where we're coming from. And hopefully in your own lives, you'll be able to take some of these steps and really solve some of the trickier etiquette dilemmas out there. So we chose a total classic question to walk through. Dan, take us away. This question is called perfume problems, and it's a work etiquette question. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I work on my college campus in an office of mainly student workers. One of the employees who has recently been hired wears so much perfume it makes me sick. I have a hard time breathing when I'm in the same room as her and the scent gives me a horrible headache. It doesn't seem to bother anyone else. How do I say something to her without offending her? Should I mention it to our boss, the only person in the office who isn't a student? Or should I just suck it up? Thanks, Jess. Jess, this is definitely a problem. This is something that I can sympathize with. I'm sure Dan can too. Mm -hmm. Um, But when there are certain scents and you don't know what it is, they can just trigger a headache, a feeling of being sick to your stomach. Uh, Just it becomes overwhelming. And it's something that other people may not notice at all. And it's not always perfumes. It can also be colognes, shampoos, deodorants, other kinds of beauty products that have a particular scent or chemical that you don't know um, how people are going to react to it. And certain people have real sensitivities to certain chemicals. Some people just don't like certain smells. Absolutely. And I'll throw in one more little additive before we actually walk you through this process. And that's that when you are at the gym or it is the summer months, often it increases the intensity of the smell. Just your own sweat or the heat from your body or the heat from around you will do that. So just be aware that that can happen when you wear scent. And it's important to tone it down a little bit if you're going to be working out or if it is the hotter months. Really good reminder. All right. So awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Step one. What is step one in our process? It is consideration, which we again, as we mentioned, we spoke about the the three principles in last week's episode, episode 101. And consideration is really where we look at who is involved and how they are affected. So if we're looking at this situation of Jess in her work environment, she's definitely affected by what's going on. We know that because she's telling us she's affected by it. The colleague is probably going to be affected by any solutions that we're going to come up with. This is the person we're going to interact with. This is the person that that we're going to say, hey, something that you do or you wear is bothering me. One way or another, they're involved. Exactly. Whether they know that they're giving this offense or whether you decide to tell them or whether they don't. <laughs> they're a party here. They are a party here. Other people might be affected. There might be silent sufferers or there might be people that like her perfume. You never know. Um, but there generally other people might be affected. They also might be affected because um, depending on how this situation goes, it might become something that gets talked about or something that they hear about. Or, you know, you might be asking them for their advice on how to tackle it. So they're just they are around. They are a part of the work environment. And generally things that do happen at work can affect the other people that we work with. Their presence is absolutely implied by this question. There's the others who may or may not be bothered. And there's the boss. So we've even got some categories of coworkers that we're talking about here. Well, and that boss might be affected depending on what solution we come up with. This might be the person that you turn to to have them help you out. So as we look at the work environment, we really try to think of everybody who's involved. Oftentimes, when we are dealing with problems that involve a company, we think about the fact that that company has an outer image that they put towards the world and that... A lot of times things that happen within the company can affect that outer image, and sometimes they don't as much. And in this situation, I think that because we aren't hearing Jess talk about working with clients or working with prospects or suppliers, that it's less likely that people working with this organization are going to be affected by this strong perfume smell. Of course, if they came into the office and experienced the smell themselves, but it's it's not like not shaking someone's hand or drinking too much at a work dinner that would affect the image of the company as much. This is more of an internal problem, which can affect the company if it's really a problem within. We often see with gossiping that that's something that can affect the whole company internally and be really difficult. But this is, so far as we know, one person affected by the scent of another person and not sure how to deal with it. So we're going to not worry so much about the image of the company to other people when we're looking at who's involved and how they're affected. 
Step number two gets us to looking at some solutions for this problem. What are the different options that all these people who are involved have with each other? And just what are they? They can be anything. We're not going to worry about how these people are affected just yet. Just what are the total options that we have? Dan, give us one of the options. One option is certainly that you could talk to this person. (laughs) You could walk right up to him and tell him exactly how you feel about this situation. Your perfume is making me sick. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One option. It's an option. In fact, it sounds so extreme coming out of my mouth. I'm even going to do a second option for how you might talk to that person. You might approach that person in a slightly gentler way. You might say something to them along the lines of, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really noticing your perfume today. I'm not sure you're aware of it. The softer kind of touch to it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, there are other options. You could always decide to leave it alone. You could decide to accept the status quo that it's easier to say nothing and leave it at that. You could ask your boss or someone from HR to talk to this person. You could quit your job. I know that quit option sounds a bit extreme, but this is where you want to include some options that you might not choose. Sometimes those options that are, even as you say them the first time, are clearly going to be stricken from the list. They're important to get on there because they're going to help you define the territory that you want to operate in. Sometimes hearing yourself say something that's a bad option is all of the information that you need from yourself to know that it's not the thing that you're going to do. But it's important to give yourself that latitude as you think about it. Next, we're going to apply the third step, which is respect. And it's where we're going to take each of these options and really look at how they're going to positively or negatively affect the people that are involved. And that's how we're going to decide whether or not they're a good option or not. But it's really showing respect to everybody involved by taking a look at these solutions and determining whether or not they are a good thing or a negative thing for the the people that are going to be dealing with them, that are going to be experiencing them. So looking at one of the first suggestions we had, which was to to suffer in silence, to leave it at the status quo, to not do anything about it. Well, sure, you haven't rocked the boat. You haven't, you know, upset any colleagues. You haven't, you know, taken up your boss's time. But at the same time, you're still dealing with these headaches every day. So that's really going to be one where it's good for everybody else, but not good for you. You could tell uh, this coworker outright that her perfume is making you gag and giving you headaches, and that might make her feel badly. So that doesn't really sound all that respectful. Um, and you could actually come across like kind of an insensitive jerk out of it, you know. So that that doesn't really work for anybody. It might vent that frustration might feel nice, but. It might, <laughs> although I tend to find that when people get hurt, nothing really f- ends up feeling as good as you might think it's going to feel. No, it doesn't, or it wears off very quickly. <laughs> and is it really likely to resolve the problem? No. Is that going to get you to the solution <laughs> that you're hoping to get to? Probably not. So that's not looking like one of our best options. Now, you could tell her that you're having trouble with your perfume. Do that gentler approach that Dan was talking about and hope that she'll understand and not wear it into the office. That was another option that we had. But with that, you've voiced your concern, which definitely feels like you've done something for yourself, which is nice. 
and you've dealt with the problem head on and whether or not she complies, at least you have made your concerns known and you haven't done it in a way that's insulting. So you're kind of taking what we often refer to as the etiquette high road. But what it does is it places the ball in her court. And you're really leaving it up to her to decide whether she's going to take you seriously and really want to help the situation or whether she's not. And that's that's dangerous territory to leave it all in her court. But it seems like you've respected her and you've respected yourself, which I like that. It's dangerous territory, but it's also in some ways really appropriate territory in terms of etiquette. One of the the tenets of good etiquette, not being demandy, pushy, bossy, not telling someone else what to do, respecting their autonomy and their freedom. So in some ways, having um, uh, conducted yourself well, having brought some attention to the situation, leaving it in their court, while it might not necessarily be a resolved situation in that moment, in some ways, I think you're in some pretty good territory with this option. That one's feeling pretty good. One of our other options was that you could always go to your boss or your supervisor or someone from HR to talk to her on your behalf, that this is something you don't feel comfortable dealing with on your own. And that's certainly an option. And depending on what your office culture is like, it might really be a good solution. You get to stay anonymous. She gets the message, has the pressure from a superior to make the change. It might feel a little weird to her, though, to be Sort of like, okay, someone clearly had an issue with this and they couldn't come to me themselves. They had to go to HR. Now, in some offices, that's the right path. That's the path that the company culture has set for an employee to take. And in other offices, that's not the culture that they want to cultivate. And it's instead they want you dealing with your problems on your own. And we don't know which culture Jess's office is. So it's important to recognize that that's a good option depending on what her office culture is. And another version of this that you sometimes hear is if someone is worried about necessarily alerting a supervisor, someone from HR, there might be repercussions for someone. They're worried about pointing out a flaw in a coworker's behavior or work <laughs> workplace civility. Um, sometimes people will look for an ally within the office, someone who knows that person a little better. So it might not be someone from HR, but a close friend or an intermediary who you both have a good relationship with. Maybe your relationship with this person is close enough that you can manage this conversation on your own. It definitely gets dicey when you start to think about including other people because you're starting to expand the number of people that are impacted and affected by this situation. It's definitely one of those things to consider. Is it really going to make it easier to get that message through to that person or is it going to make it more difficult when you start playing telephone with that message? And finally, we do have our option of quitting. And, you know, if you've got another job lined up, that's great. But if not, this can be some really risky territory to put yourself in. And do you really want to quit over something that you haven't tried to deal with yet? It's an option, but it's a really risky one. And to continue our exercise of really thinking about how every party's impacted or affected, this person never becomes aware that her perfume was so bad that it drove someone to leave the organization. Okay, so now that we've identify the positives and the negatives of each of these solutions, we can actually honestly take ourselves to one that we feel good about. Step four is my favorite step in some ways. It's where we get to bring honesty into this process. And when you think about the way our three principles of consideration, respect, and honesty relate or translate into these five steps, this step four is where you get to say to yourself, what can I do here that I can live with? We often talk about sincerity, the ability to operate from a place of authenticity, um, being fundamental to having good etiquette, to be perceived as a kind, gracious, caring person. And 
There's not always a perfect solution. As you heard Lizzie and I talking about these, there's a lot of it depends. There's, well, this answer could work if these are the conditions and this answer could work if those are the conditions. And, you know, at some point, there is a critical decision that needs to be made and you're going to need to decide which one you're going to go with. And one might have 70 percent correctness and non-harm and one might have 95 percent and you might find that right one. You might not. But at some point you got to make a choice and you got to live with that choice. So I think it's really important to ask yourself that question of are you being honest with yourself when you make it? Is it something that you can live with? And and I think that's a good criteria for that moment when the decision needs to be made. And what I like about the choices that we have are that. I was seeing two that really percolated up to the top of what felt right. Mm -hmm. And for me, and you can tell me if you agree, the one where you're talking to her gently and just making your request known and then putting the ball in her court sounded like a good option. Mm -hmm. And the one with going to the boss sounded like a good option. So when you look at it from an honesty standpoint, how do you make the decision between the two? I agree. And I think the reason that I like the talk to your coworker first directly is that not knowing the company culture and sort of assuming the best intentions of everybody involved here, I would think that that would be the situation that if I were in the other person's shoes, that would be the way I would want them to treat me. And this is one where we actually have some statistics. Most coworkers would rather hear about a personal issue or a hygiene issue from a friend, coworker, or colleague than from a boss, supervisor, or someone from HR. And um, I'm thinking of to myself, we talk about the broccoli on the tooth rule. If you can help someone avoid future or further embarrassment by bringing up something that's awkward or difficult in the moment, um, that we advise that you do it and you do it in the spirit of helping someone out because they would want to know. So in that spirit, I would want to talk to the person. I would want to let them know, but I'd want to do it as gently, as kindly um, and with as much compassion as possible. If that set of it depends makes it really impossible, impractical or not wise for you to have that discussion personally with your colleague or coworker, then it's absolutely an option. That's what HR departments are for. It's what supervisors and bosses are for. They're there to help with difficult situations at work and they have the authority to deal with the situation. So I would have in this particular case sort of a, a tiered one, two. <laughs> And that's my choice for step four. I'm with you. I'm completely there. I think that's the best way for Jess to handle this problem. And we go to step five of refining it. So now that we know that we're going to suggest to Jess that she talk to her coworker first, if that's the right thing to do for this office environment, it's time to craft some language. This is that place where we really turn to... If the situation was reversed, I would want it to be handled this way. And that's one of the the types of language structures that we find really useful in this type of situation because it lets the other person know you're not trying to hurt their feelings. You're not trying to harm them. You're not trying to be harsh. You would expect the same treatment in return. Would hope for it. <laughs> would hope for the same. Hope for is such a better phrase. Hope for the same uh, treatment in return. So the sample language that I would turn to for this would be something like this. Emily, I was hoping I could ask you about something. Do you have a moment? That is Dan Post Senning's classic language for... Let me, may I get permission to speak with you right now? Because you don't want to catch Emily when it's a bad time. You don't want to catch her. Um, you know, you don't know what's going on with her. So make sure first ask permission to have the conversation. Then I would say something like, I want you to know that if the situation was reversed, I'd hope you'd feel comfortable coming to me. It's about your perfume. I've noticed that I must be having a reaction to it because when I'm around it, I'm getting headaches. I was hoping that you'd be willing to wear less or not wear it on days when we work together. 
It's a pretty reasonable request. Again, we don't know how Emily's going to react to it. Mm-hmm. It might be offensive to her. It might be real bummer because she loves this perfume and she's very excited about it. It's her signature scent. This is a personal choice she makes every day. So bear in mind, she might have her back up a little bit. But hopefully this will lead her to understand that it's negatively impacting you, that you don't want to hurt her feelings, but that you just can't suffer in silence. So often etiquette mistakes have to do with lack of awareness. And I think being prepared for that uh, that moment of surprise when someone's awareness is brought to attention is really good advice. Hopefully they will take that moment like the revelation that they've got a piece of spinach on their tooth and quickly remove it and move on. <laughs> and Jess, if it doesn't change after having had that conversation with your coworker, you can now move on to talking to your boss about it and say, you know, I've spoken with Emily about this and unfortunately it hasn't changed or her wearing less hasn't solved the problem. I'm wondering if you could step in and and help me ask that this perfume is not something that she wears or if we can find some other solution so that this doesn't affect me and I can come in and work without headaches. I really like that language of um, allowing for other solutions because I think an important part of approaching any difficult discussion or conversation is a willingness to listen and a willingness to compromise. And there might be um, ways to resolve this that aren't included on our list of possible solutions. And I think being prepared to expand that list of solutions is another thing to prepare yourself for before this kind of a conversation. So, Jess, that is our very um, detailed explanation of how we would go about tackling your perfume at work problem. And we hope that this gives you options for moving forward and that you feel confident having this conversation with your coworker. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsor. Here, let's try another trick. This next question has to do with tipping for mistakes. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. This is Paula calling from Hawaii. I have been living here for three years and struggle to find a nail place that keeps up with my expectations. My friend and I decided to go to this new nail place. And I could tell when they were doing my nails that it was a job that was definitely not going to last And at the end, when the check came, um, it was definitely very expensive, so I was not very happy with it. So I called in, hoping uh, that I could get an appointment to maybe get my nails fixed after their chipping, only after two days. So my question is, do I have to tip the person that is going to do my nails? Or should I not tip it if they charge me? How should I approach the situation? Because they're pretty much uh, redoing a job that wasn't very well done in the first place. Aloha. I love this question because <laughs> it's a really personal question. It is. Tipping is personal. It's really what makes it so special. It's also what makes it so difficult. Usually a salon service tip is in that 15 to 20 percent territory. That is true. <laughs> um, it's not like a, a tip jar where you're real. It's really up to you to decide what percentage or amount that you leave. Um, a salon is one of those places where you do traditionally give that 15 to 20 percent tip. However, when there has been a mistake or a job that was not done well, and that's what we're talking about here. That's what Paula's asking about is if there is a mistake and they are correcting the mistake, do you tip on that? And I have always been under the impression that you do not. 
This is them correcting a mistake. It should have been done well the first time. If hair color has gone wrong, if nails are chipping after a day or two, which just for those that don't get their nails done, that's not supposed to happen. You are your your nails really are as long as you take care of them and dry them properly. When you leave the salon, they should be good for a few days. Um, so I can understand that having an expensive salon appointment usually does indicate that you're you know you're getting enough product and service on your nails that they really should be good for about a week or so. So for a touch up or correction like that, is there a fee for? When you come in and do the touch-up or correction? Typically, there should not be. Mm -hmm. This should be the salon uh, staff fixing a mistake, and therefore you shouldn't be getting charged for that, and you wouldn't put a tip on top of it unless they went above and beyond and you were very appreciative. And they should be offering to fix that without charging. There have been a few times in my life where I've ever had my hair color not come out the right color, quite literally. They make it blonde, it came out purple or something like (laughs) that. And it's twice happened in my life, and... It's a chemical issue, and it happens every now and again, but that is something that I've never been charged for and also have never tipped on when the mistake is rectified. I tell you, I was also imagining a situation where you come back for that corrective service, and it's just awesome. Right. That they really take care of you, and for oh, whatever yeah. reason, the service is is not just up to snuff. It's um, how are we going to make this better, or just something about the quality of the service that particular day is something that starts to really feel tip-worthy. There's certainly no rule against it. Absolutely. What if they do try to charge for the correction? So what if it's the opposite? You're not getting that great experience (laughs) you were just talking about, right? Um, I had this happen to a friend of mine, and I actually talked to a couple women that I know who own salons and work in salons, and they all said that she should insist on not paying that. Mm -hmm. And that was the advice that I gave my friend. I said, you know, you should really call them up. Yes, they took the time to get your hair color right, but they also had messed it up and they should not be charging you for their mistake. And that is essentially what they were trying to do at this particular salon. And I felt very confident in my friends who work at salons saying, oh, no, no, no. If there's a mistake, A, it's bad advertising for me if you're walking around with hair that's not good that you've paid for. But it's extra bad advertising if I charge you for fixing a mistake I made. So another question. Yeah. If you were having a salon service and you noticed as... Our friend here did. She was noticing the way the work was being done. Would you ever tip less because you weren't happy with that service and, frankly, you thought it might be suspect to begin with? First, I would encourage Paula, as she's noticing what she's not happy with going on, to speak up in the moment. I think that gives the other person the chance to correct it or to explain how this salon does their nail services and why it might be different from a different salon. Um, That is important, especially depending on the type of service you're getting. But I would not encourage her to lower her tip. What I would instead do is to talk to a manager about it and say, you know, I know I came in here and I selected this particular service. I don't think it was up to the quality that I am used to. And I'm a little concerned about that. You've still given the tip for the work that was done, but you're voicing the concern, which I do think is really important. Probably sets you up well for that call two days later if you do need to come back for that touch-up. Exactly. A final thought that I'd like to share before we leave this question is that sometimes tipping is referred to as a gratuity, and the root of that word is gratitude. And I really appreciate this kind of careful thinking about the best way to show that appreciation, to show that gratitude. 
how you tip will really affect how people see you. It'll affect your reputation as a customer. And I think that's an important thing to think about as you try to cultivate relationships with service providers that are going to be good relationships and that are going to result in you getting the service you want and them having the kind of business that they want. To make a good impression, you must know what to do. Thank you for your questions, and please send us updates and comments. We love to hear your thoughts. You can leave us a message at 802-866-0860. You can write to us at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or if you're on Twitter or Facebook, just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question or comment on the show. And speaking of great feedback from all of you, this is time for our feedback section. And our producer, Hans, is here to help us out. Hans, how's it going? Really good. How are you guys doing? Yay. We're, well. We're well. Thank you. Oh, yes. So am I. I'm doing Oh, yeah. Well. We didn't mean to grammatically show you up there. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so I want to start today's feedback. Um, this is a follow-up feedback slash question all wrapped up into one. This is from Marjorie. So Marjorie wrote in... Uh, about episode 96. So if we think back, there was that was the Clean Plate Club episode. So the question was all about, should at a restaurant people be taking your plates away as people finish, or should you wait until everybody is finished? And Marjorie had an interesting follow-up saying, growing up, my mom always had us wait until everyone was done to clear the table. Each plate was removed separately and could be stacked at the sink or not. I like that. There are always fast eaters and slow eaters, and especially at a group meal, I hate to rush anyone. So Marjorie continues with an elaboration. However, I have friends, she says, who start to remove theirs and others' plates from the table as soon as they are done eating. In addition to removing the plates, they scrape each plate at the table and then stack them all together. I cringe at this, but need a good way to ask them to wait for others to complete their meals and also please just bring each plate separately to the kitchen. So Marjorie asks, how would you, Lizzie and Dan, handle the same problem at a home meal and the question of whether to stack plates at the table. For the same problem at home, Marjorie, I would say that you really have to defer to your host on this. If your host is scraping the plates and stacking them at her table, that's her business. And even though you might cringe and it's not how you would do it in your home, you have to respect the home that you're dining at. However, when it comes to this issue in general, I'm still of the mindset that you wait for people to finish, that you don't clear the table until everybody has finished the meal. And I, we... <laughs> Sorry, you hear me stutter because this is a hotly debated topic as to whether or not you stack your plates or not. And when it came to people's really nice china, the idea was you do not stack your plates because, number one, you're just getting the plates more and more dirty um, and giving yourself more to wash off in the end. But you also could be damaging the pattern on the plate. You know, you've already got knives and forks that are eating away at it slowly over time, but to then be stacking it can also cause more um, deterioration and it'll cause them to deteriorate faster. And it's really your own personal preference and your own knowledge about your own tableware. And Certainly in your home, you can set whatever standard you want. You can ask people to individually bring their plates to the kitchen. That was certainly the the standard that my mother taught me as I was growing up. So what would that look like to you guys if, say, that Marjorie is sitting at her table and they're having a great time and one person finishes and all of a sudden stands up with their plate 
and starts to walk away or like grab somebody else's plate and just in the middle of a sentence starts to like clean up. What could Marjorie say in that situation or should she just let it go at that point? That's really a decision Marjorie's going to have to make in the moment. She's going to have to decide whether it's important to let that person just do this and have them take over as a guest or whether she's going to say, oh, Jim, please sit down. No, no, no. We're going to wait to clear once everybody's finished. Thank you so much. It's so thoughtful of you, though. You want to make the correction, but you also want to let them know you know where their intention is coming from. They want to help. Um, that's okay that they want to help, but sometimes you really do have to put the kibosh on it. Um, I had that happen at a party that I threw. Um, really wanted, was using some very nice china. If anyone was going to drop it, it needed to be me. And so I made sure that as soon as one of my dear friends said, oh, let me help with the dishes, I said, no, 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 no. I truly want all of my guests to be guests this evening. So please, I would love it if you would take your seat and allow me to clear. It will help me relax. Please take it easy. Exactly. So there you go, Marjorie. Good luck at your next party. So the other thing that I wanted to do quickly was just to read a letter that we got to you guys. This is an update letter that we got from somebody who is near and dear to our hearts. Uh, And so I just want to read the whole thing straight to you guys. So this comes in and says, hello, Lizzie and Dan. I wrote to you a few months ago regarding the proper way to address pregnancy inquiries following a miscarriage. Thank you so much for your advice. It definitely helped me knowing that I wasn't being rude when I just didn't want to talk to anyone. I just listened to your 100th episode and a huge congrats to Dan on his impending arrival of a new baby. I am also expecting again with a baby boy due on Christmas Day. Such a beacon of hope after everything. I wish you a smooth and uneventful pregnancy, Dan. All the best. My uterus, my business. I remember that question. Indeed. And M-U-M-B, thank you so much. And a hearty congratulations right back to you. That is awesome, awesome news. And I just wanted everyone to know that I've shared uh, some of your thoughts with Pooja, and we appreciate them so much. It really is incredible to hear from all of you. And please keep them coming. Some of the name suggestions have been remarkable. And I'll tell you, some of the things that you all have suggested are making their way onto the list. postscript segment we are going to explore the exciting nuance of gift etiquette today gifts are definitely one of those areas where i feel like it's such tricky territory are you supposed to bring a hostess gift every time you go to a party how much are you supposed to spend on a wedding gift or a birthday gift what if they say no gifts please is it okay once you're an adult to just bring a card There are so many questions and thoughts when it comes to gifts, and so we thought we would outline a few of the finer points of gift giving. And the first, the very first thing, this trumps absolutely everything when it comes to gifts. So pay attention, because this is the one thing you got to know, is that you always, always, always stay within your budget and give something you feel comfortable giving giving. I don't care what the registry says. I don't care what the person's asking for. Those two things are absolutely first and foremost when it comes to gift giving. It's your budget and your confidence in the gift that you're giving that matter. The heart of good etiquette being practicality, it's really up to you to know what your limits are and to stay within them. 
You also, and this is one that I take from my cousin Dan, always want to receive a gift with the generosity of spirit in which it was given. You might have to fake it in the moment. You might have to say things like, oh, that you are so thoughtful. Thank you. But those are the right things to do in that moment. You never want to say, oh, great. Another owl clock. (laughs) Like, you know, no, that's not, it's going to come across as not genuine because it's not genuine. Just remember, you can always thank someone for their thoughtfulness. You can always thank them for their consideration towards you. That's okay to do. Another question that often comes up is, how do you handle that gift that even if you thank someone appropriately for, you aren't that excited about? Yeah, right. Do you have to wear that horrible orange sweater that grandma knitted for you? <laughs> do you have to display the chotskis that you receive from someone when they come to visit? The answer is no. You Technically, don't have no. to. Yeah. <laughs> um, if someone took the time, grandma, to knit you a sweater, you could probably put it on for the brief visit <laughs> that you spend with grandma. Uh, it might mean a, a lot to her. This is a cost-benefit analysis question. <laughs> but the the etiquette answer is also just like you're not expected to eat anything that makes you sick. We say you try something, but you're not expected to eat it, all of it, if you don't like it. The same is true when you receive a gift from someone, that you give it a try, you make an effort to to let them know to the extent that you are able to appreciate it how you appreciate it, but you're not expected to like things you don't like or do things you don't enjoy. Exactly. And you can do things like, you know, put this item out, you know, when the person visits or you can rotate it through your decor. Um, There are simple things that you can do to let the person know you've appreciated the gift. But remember, too, that at some point in your life, it's okay to clean house and it's okay to get rid of things that just don't serve you or don't work for you. Um, It's perfectly all right. Uh, We had a question about this just the other week on uh, displaying the photos of the animals. You know, the the city gal comes to the farm and keeps bringing all these images of animals and the the owner of the farm is like, I have them right outside. (laughs) You know, what do I do when she comes over? You display a couple, you rotate them through your collection, and then you move on from them. And that's perfectly okay. So what are some generally safe gifts? What are things that are going to work for many occasions and um, are are really useful to have in your back pocket because there are lots of opportunities in life to give gifts? Some really classic gifts that are kind of the things that everyone could always use. You can kind of never have enough of them. They're easy to rotate through um, are things like vases picture frames, platters, specialty utensils. So like uh, I'm thinking like little cheese knives, you know, and sometimes the handle has some beautiful ornate look to it or something like that. Or um, platters, cutting boards, things like that. Little bowls, display bowls. Those are really easy things to give that are always of use. For smaller occasions and affairs, um, uh, perishable gifts, little foodstuffs, something from the place that you're visiting from or a hometown, uh, Uh, A specialty food product that you know about that you want to share with someone, something you've pickled yourself. Dan and I are always bringing maple syrup to people. Absolutely. Um, Also nice little soaps, little things for the bathroom, little things for the shower, Uh, special lotions, special hand lotions, special soaps, special home scents. So those are safe gifts. What about risky gifts? What would you consider risky gifts? Well, some of the first things that jump to mind are anything that would be really polarizing in nature, anything that might be um, really viewed differently by people who had different orientations, either politically or um, culturally. (laughs) 
So anything um, related to politics or uh, the most intimate parts of our lives, you want to be careful with joke or gag gifts of any nature. Humor can be tricky and you want to be careful that someone is going to appreciate your sense of humor. And we always advise be extra careful with sarcasm. Absolutely. Gifts are not a place to be kind of making a jab at someone. There are rare occasions when it works between the right people and with the right gift and the right circumstances, but that is so rare. You have to really know the situation to be 100% certain that it would be okay. So we say stay away from gag gifts, stay away from joke gifts, stay away from anything super intimate in nature. These are the things you don't want to get into. As a concluding thought, there is a piece of advice that is always sound when thinking about gift giving, and it's the oldest cliche in the book, and it is because it's true and it remains fundamentally true that ultimately it is the thought that counts. You want to think about the relationship. You want to think about the person that you're giving the gift to, and you want to think about something that's going to be meaningful to them or meaningful in the context of your relationship. So you can personalize almost anything that you give by including a little handwritten note or card that addresses the person particularly. And that's one of the nice things about labeling a gift with a card. It gives you that opportunity to do that, to personalize. So another point of etiquette around gift giving that can really be useful to be excellent at this important skill. Finally, today, it is time for our etiquette salute, and today we hear from David. Greeting, Lizzie, Dan, Hans, and team. About a week ago, I was leaving one of my favorite lunch places, and I happened to look behind me and noticed that someone was about to walk out, so of course I quickly grabbed the door to make sure it didn't shut on the gentleman's face, and he looked at me and smiled and said, let me buy you a cup of coffee. So we walked to doors down, went to the local coffee roaster, sat and had a coffee together. Turned out to be a great guy, had a lot in common and had a fun discussion. And I said, you know, I really thank you for that. It's really brightened my day. And his answer was, opening doors can do many positive things for you. And I thought, what a great thing and what a great story. And I ran into him a week later and told him how much it brightened my week. And he said, you know, he had wanted to buy me another coffee again. But as it happened, I spotted him in the shop and I paid for his. So anyway, thank you very much for your great show. I love it. I love the honesty, consideration, and respect that you promote every week. And thank you very much. And thank you, David. That is an excellent salute. There are so many little kindnesses that happen in all of our lives and on such a, a regular basis that it can be easy to miss them. And it really is remarkable what a little courtesy can do. This sounds like the beginning of a potential friendship, and I hope it continues to grow. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Well, that's our show for this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can reach us at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Help us out. Subscribe on iTunes and please leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner. And our show is produced by Hans Butev. 